The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 43. We're in this study. We've been here for the last several weeks. We're looking in depth at the life of Joseph and the great deal of suffering that he endured as a result of his brothers and their unconscionable mistreatment of him. It's crazy to think about this, isn't it? I think that would be a vast understatement. And here's where we're at in the story. If you haven't been here, perhaps, or, or if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, because of jealousy and hatred towards this man named Joseph, his brothers kind of formed a plot against him and they sold him as a slave and he was taken off to Egypt. And after years of being in Egypt, Joseph, by God's divine hand of providence, found favor with Pharaoh. So he went from being a slave and then being imprisoned to being what we would call the, essentially the prime minister of Egypt. And now about 22 years have passed since Joseph's brothers heartlessly sold him into slavery. I mean, could, you think your family has issues? This is crazy. These are the patriarchs of our faith. I mean, it's insane. There's a severe famine in the land right now. This was predicted or, or prophesied, I should say, better word. And um, grain is available only in Egypt in a reserve that Joseph is in charge of. And his brothers are unknowingly at his mercy as they make their way now to Egypt for a second time to purchase grain. And this time, all 11 brothers are present. Remember that the first trip we talked about last week, Jacob kept the younger brother Benjamin at home. And the brothers still have no idea that they are dealing with Joseph himself. So all this time has passed. They don't expect him to be prime minister of Egypt, so they don't even recognize him. So that being said, I'm going to read a small part of chapter 43. I'm going to begin in verse 15, and then we're just going to kind of unpack this as we go. All right, so verse 15, chapter 43 says this, So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin. This is the brothers now heading back to Egypt. They arose, went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. So here's a, just the first kind of unpacking um, point that I want to get to tonight. Um, Joseph, Joseph's intention is this. It is to bless his brothers. It is to bless his brothers. Now, you may say, well, of course, that's his brothers. What would you do if your brothers had treated you the way that his brothers treated him? We have here a beautiful picture of grace. It points forward to what we have in Christ. Think about this. By the old adage, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, 
his brothers deserve death, right? I mean, they deserve to be treated horribly by human standards. I mean, Joseph would have every right to make them slaves themselves, right? You sold me into slavery. Now, hey, guess what? We're going to hold you captive, and you're going to be my slaves. We're going to see how you like it. He could demand so much for them, from them. But instead, what does he do? He bestows mercy. He bestows grace upon them. And he blesses them beyond measure. This is radical. And this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. Every one of us, we've talked about this over and over and over. We're a gospel-centric church. So everything points to the gospel in the Bible, right? And so... You and I, we, we've talked about this. We were before Christ, enemies of God, rebels against God in our sinful state. And yet, while we were yet sinners, this is Christ died for us. This is uh, Romans 5, 7, and 8. It says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But watch this, verse 8. But God shows His love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here we are. Just like Joseph's brothers sinned against Joseph, we to a much greater degree have sinned, all of us have sinned against God himself. Which means, according to scripture, we're deserving of eternal death which means that we would forever be under the wrath of God. You can go through the book of Romans and find that. We, there's no way we could talk our way out of this punishment. I mean, this is, this is written. The wages of sin is death. Joseph's brothers could never have made up for the sin that they have committed. The sins, the many sins that they have committed. They could never, they could never make up for those things. There's no way they could pay Joseph back and say, hey, listen, have mercy on me, here's this amount of money, or, or here's what we'll do this for you. No, nothing can wipe away the past except grace. You know, it's interesting, you and I, here we are, hopeless apart from Christ. We can never do enough good need, deeds, we can never, uh, never earn our way to, be, to right standing with God, we can never apologize enough. But what we can do is fall down at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? That means that we recognize our own spiritual poverty, that we understand that there's no way to God except through Christ, except by mercy. You and I could never be reconciled to Him. So what a great picture of the gospel. And then... What a great example that we should emulate, right? Doesn't Jesus call us to do this very thing? He doesn't just say, he says this, but he doesn't just say, forgive those who offend you or hurt you. Or, he doesn't just say that. What is, I mean, he, he takes it to a radical degree. And he says, actually, pray for those who spitefully harm you. Bless those who curse you. 
And this is not a cursing like they cussed you. This is, this is a curse. You, you understand what it means when the Bible talks about cursing? I mean, this is serious business. I mean, this is somebody who wants you gone. This is someone who wants to tear you down. And Jesus says, bless those very people. Love your enemies. I mean, this, this is not culturally Except, I mean, this is not what our culture teaches us to do, right? This is so anti-American culture. This is especially so anti-Southern culture. The closer you get to the mountains, I have, I have found this out lately. I've had to deal with some people um, that others have sinned against, and these are kind of mountain people, these kind of Appalachian people, right? And they, they listen, I'm like... It's like every situation, small or large, once you've sinned against somebody's family in this area, it's like Hatfield and McCoy, right? The Hatfields and McCoys, right? It's just, I mean, it's like you, you did something to my great-grandmother. Your great-grandmother sinned against my great-grandmother. We can never talk, right? Like you didn't have anything to do with us, but it's like we're writing you off. So this is so counterculture, especially where we're at. I've been really, I was dealing not too long ago with a former pastor's wife who was literally like, I mean, she hated people who had offended her. There's nobody from this church, but just she hated, I mean, she was filled with rage. But listen, just because that might be some of our cultures, like, that's not an excuse. We have to go with the Bible, right? Like the Bible trumps cultural norms, all right? That's where it's writing down. The Bible trumps cultural norms. So we see this picture of grace, and then we see this picture that we should emulate. And when you consider all that's happened to Joseph, and yet he offers grace, and by the way, this is on the other side of the cross. Okay, This is before the coming of the Holy Spirit to baptize us in power. This is, on the, uh, this is before the atoning work of Christ. So this is, this is before Jesus has even given his teaching on forgiveness. And yet Joseph offers this grace. Now, when you think about this, you understand that, I mean, if I were to ask you right now, who has offended you? You can probably, most of you, think of somebody right now that you could be bitter towards. And it may seem like a really big deal to you. And I would just ask you, if you're unwilling to forgive them, I would say, hey, have they done to you even close to what Joseph's done to you or, or that Joseph's brothers did to him? I mean, when you think about this, like the, I have complained and I have held grudges for some really petty stuff in comparison. And then I would ask you, even more relevantly, I would say, hey, have they sinned against you anywhere near the way that you've sinned against God? Because every sin of your whole life ultimately is against God. And yet he gave his only begotten son for you. So we, we see this great picture that we can emulate. All right, let's move on. Verse 18, when the men were afraid... And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And still, they don't know it's him, all right? And they said, it's because of the money. Do you remember last week when 
Um, Joseph, when, when the brothers were leading, leaving after the first trip, he filled their sacks with, the, he put their money back in and even gave them extra stuff for their trip. I mean, just, he blessed them. Well, they didn't know that he did that. So they get home and they find all this and they're like, we're going to be in so much trouble. How did this money get in here? So they are scared to death. And, and watch this. So they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks for the first time that we were brought in so that he may assault us and find and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkey. So here's our next point of application. Joseph's brothers are afraid. All right? And, and I want to just bring you to a familiar verse in Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Let me just take you back to your childhood for a moment. Do you remember when you did something wrong? Some of you, I know you think you were perfect, but think really hard, okay? Um, when, you, when you did something wrong, and let's say mom and dad didn't know yet, all right? You hadn't been busted. And everybody that passes by you, like you feel like they know what you did, right? Nobody knows, but you feel like, you feel like everything that happens to you, they're like, you like, they're, they know. They know, right? When you and I sin, when we are wicked, when we're not following God's will for our lives, you know what happens? We, we are scared to death. We're always looking over our shoulders, right? Because you always feel like somebody is after you. You always feel like somebody's against you. Someone's out to get you, even when they're not. The wicked have no rest. Even when no one is in pursuit, they feel that someone's after them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's just unpack this for a moment. Let's apply this to Joseph's story here. So Joseph, if you think about him, people have been after him, right? I mean, he's been falsely imprisoned. His brothers hated him, wanted him dead. Um, my mind went blank. Um, the home that he was in, help me out, somebody. Um, he, not what? Potiphar's wife, um, yes, was against him. Remember, she falsely accused him. I mean, people have been after him, yet the whole time, Joseph is solid. He has peace, even though he's, People are really against him. Why? Because he has right standing with God. He knows the truth. He has a clear conscience. He can sleep at night, even though falsely imprisoned, sold into slavery, lied about, taken away from his homeland. He just has peace. And listen, if you walk in righteousness, you will have what the Bible calls peace that surpasses all understanding. Doesn't mean that nothing bad will happen to you. Look at Joseph. But it means even when bad things come against you, you can even have peace in the midst of those. I mean, you see this in the Apostle Paul's life, right? When he's in prison and he says, Rejoice in the Lord at all times. And again, I say rejoice. He says, Don't worry about me. He's writing the people of Philippi. Don't worry about me. I know that I'm, I'm in prison. But hey, this is, this is expanding the gospel. This is crazy. He's, the, the gospel may even make it to Caesar's house, he says. This is great. 
I mean, peace in prison. This is crazy. This is the kind of peace that the righteous have. Then you look at the brothers. His brothers have done nothing wrong in this situation. And they are absolutely freaking out. Freaking out. No one's pursuing them. Joseph's trying to bless them. And they're scared out of their minds. Right? So, verse 19. They went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack or money in full weight. So we have brought it with us and we've brought our other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. They're frantic, right? You get this idea. And he replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Now watch this. This is a great verse here. Your, this is Joseph saying this. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. I want you to understand this. We are mere vessels that the Lord uses to bless other people and to bring himself glory. That's it. Joseph blesses his brothers by giving them money on their trip. Yet he doesn't take credit for it. He doesn't say, well, you ought to thank me. It was me. It was my idea. I'm just such a great guy. Just so generous, so spiritual. He just says, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. It's interesting. Uh, is he lying? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's the one that had it put in there. No, he understands that he is a mere vessel, that the only reason he was in a position to even be able to do that is because of the grace of God. We need to remember that we're just vessels, and we should never be braggadocious. We should never seek the glory for our own good deeds. And isn't this tempting? It's the same thing that the Pharisees did, right? And Jesus talks about when he's teaching his disciples to pray, and he says, don't be like the, the, the religious ones. He's talking about the Pharisees, and he says, he calls them the hypocrites. He said, they pray, but they want to be seen. They give, uh, you know, they, have, they give to charity, or, but, but they want others to see their charitable comp uh, contributions. Be like that. When you give, don't let the left hand know what the right is doing. And isn't it tempting? I, I, it's, it's hilarious to me on, on Facebook when I see somebody start with these, uh, th these words, I'm humbled, and then they brag about what they just did. You're not humbled, you're braggadocious, right? Like you, you're, you're arrogant. I, I'm so humbled that I was able to give $1,000 to whatever charity. I'm so humbled that I was able to serve in this position today. We all have that temptation because our flesh loves the applause of men. We need to remember we are just vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. We have this treasures in jars of clay to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Friends, we're jars of clay. Can't brag about that. Every good thing we have is a gift from God. 
We're afflicted, Paul says, in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. All of this showing that surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Always ensure that your good works point to Jesus Christ. I, uh, it's no secret, one of my favorite preachers is, is uh, Pastor Tim Keller. And just and so love his writing, love his preaching, and love his ministry. One of the most humble men I've ever seen in my life. And we were at the Gospel Coalition recently, and I got the privilege of being in a small group. And his small group was like a thousand people, but um, that's a, that's a small group as Tim Keller gets, I think. But um, we got to be in, in his group, a few of us from the church. And uh, if you know anything about Keller, he gets up to the pulpit with a sheet about like this, with just chicken scratch on it. And yet he's quoting verbatim books that he read 10 years ago. Quotes from these authors, about almost verbatim. He's just got this incredible memory. He probably, I, mean, I don't know how many books he reads a week, but I mean, he just, and he just retains it all. And they said, they're, they're asking him, oh, we, this is a room full of preachers and everybody wants to preach like Tim Keller. So somebody's bold enough to ask him like, how do you do what you do? And he said, you know what? Growing up, he said, Kathy and I, his, his, he, that's his wife. He said, we were absolutely nothing special. And he just begins talking about his weaknesses. And he said, the only thing I have, he said, you know what I have? He said, I have a photographic memory. He said, I, ring, I, rem, I read something one time and I remember it. And you know what he said? He said, I did nothing to get that. He said, this has been in me. Like, this is a, simply a gift from God. And, he, and he, he says, listen, there's nothing else special about me. That's all I have. And he says, this is literally just a gift from God. And he says, it's interesting how God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. He's saying this in front of thousand people who have the, him up on this pedestal and he just he doesn't brag he just says everything i have everything i do is by the grace of god isn't that what paul says i am who i am by the grace of god listen if you have a great education i'm so happy for you if you're really really smart i'm so happy for you but that's simply a gift from god and the lord giveth and the lord taketh away right i mean we have we have no right to brag Think about our salvation. I mean, there are Christians who feel like they've earned it. Or they brag about their faith. Well, you go to the book of Ephesians and you'll realize that your faith is even a gift so that no man can boast. You can't even brag about having faith because it too is a gift from God that comes by His grace. So let's make sure that we understand that we are just vessels and this is something I pray every day that as our church grows and, and numerically and spiritually in every way that I realize I am who I am only by the grace of God. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Verse 24. By the way, he kept his word. Remember he said... You bring Benjamin, Simeon's yours, right? When the man had brought these men into Joseph's house and 
given them water. They had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for uh, Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. Now, remember, this is the dream that God had given to Joseph. Remember that the idea was that, that in, in the dream that the brothers would one day bow down to him. What's happening here? We see it again coming to pass. Some 20 years, over 20 years had passed. And I just would remind you here that... Um, God's will always comes to pass. Though the vision, I think it's Habakkuk 2, it says, though the vision tarries, it shall come to pass. Just remember that. We, we are an, an impatient people. You know, I remember coming to this church, and I really believe God laid some dreams on my heart. And um, I just really, just to be frank, I, I expected those to all to come through um, in about three, the first three months of our being here. But it seems like we went backwards for the first three months, right? Like, um, and, and I was just, I was kind of mystified. I was confounded. I just thought, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. I'm pretty sure the Lord laid these things on my heart. But I've, I'm starting to see after five years, some of these things come to pass. And uh, it's just incredible. So I just want to encourage you. The dreams that God puts in your heart. Make sure they're God-given dreams, first of all, and not Pizza Hut dreams, all right? Um, or, or Apollo's dreams or whatever pizza you like. Um, make sure that, that, that these are God-given dreams, not fleshly dreams and desires. All right. By, by the way, often we, we love quoting this part of Scripture, this piece of the verse from the book of Psalms. Um, God wants to give us the desires of our heart. And so we go, okay, that's a, that's a Mercedes. That's the desire of my heart. God wants me to have it. I'm going to have it. You know, I'm standing in faith. I, I, yeah, I see some, some of y'all looking in agreement. Yeah, that's, that's my dream, right? <laughs> so no, that's, but read the rest of the verse, right? What, what's the other part? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's he giving you at that point? Himself. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, that means you treasure Him. We talk about this all the time. We treasure Christ above all things. That's the goal. When Christ is your treasure, of course, of course He gives you the desires of your heart. He longs to give you Himself. Just remember, the God-given dreams, though, they will come to pass. And, you know, I know, just to touch on one thing real quickly... We've heard since we were children, those of us that have grown up in the church, in the church that Christ is coming soon, right? And you remember Israel for generations. Remember the first time, and you go to the Old Covenant, Old Testament, they were looking for a Messiah? Long time, centuries went by. No Messiah, no Messiah, generation to generation. And then he came, and to many of them, the most unexpected way not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. But he is coming back as a conquering king. Amen. He promised he's going to come again. And though the promise may tarry, friends, it shall come to pass. And sometimes we fall asleep. We, we get a little bit numb because we've heard the promise so much. We're supposed to be longing for his appearing. We don't talk about it enough because we've heard this for so many years and oh, is he ever going to come? But friend, he could come back at any moment. How many believe that? 
verse 27, he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. He's pronouncing blessing on him. And Joseph hurried out, verse 30, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. I just want to draw attention to the tenderness of Joseph's heart. You think about all he's been through, all the trouble, all the turmoil, the tumultuous seasons that he has been through, and yet he has a tender heart. You talk to a lot of people who have had colorful past and have been through a lot, and often, apart from Christ, what happens? What kind of heart does that create? It creates a hardened heart, a heart of stone. It says, you're not going to hurt me again. Nobody else is ever going to break through this heart of stone because if if my heart is soft, if it's moldable, then it will get crushed again. So there's this wall, there's this barrier that says, you're not getting into my emotions. And it creates bitter people, which is so tragic. Joseph is so tender. And I just believe this. I believe a godly man or woman's heart is bent towards compassion and tenderness. Do you remember after Jesus was rejected by so many of the Jews whom he came to save? Do you remember when he looks back on the city and he weeps? He's anguished over their unbelief. And knowing that their hearts are going to be hardened now. Just tender. Here he is going to be crucified. They want him that way, but yet he has such a tender heart. And he weeps. In spite of his own pain, he weeps on their behalf. I just believe if we are abiding in Christ, we too will weep. Um. Has anybody, since you've been saved, have you noticed that you tend to cry a lot more? I used to apologize for that all of the time. I, if the Spirit's moving especially, I often on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever just tear up. I was speaking to, to somebody, one of our um, church members received tragic news uh, and... Uh, kind of in dire health right now and she calls me and she sounds almost chipper about this and I said you know are you processing what's going on she says I've known about this for a few weeks and she says this has caused me to run to the Lord and appreciate every moment and as she's chipper on the phone, I'm sitting there trying to be strong as her pastor for her. And I'm, I'm in my truck, I'm on, you know, on the telephone with her. And I try not to let her hear me, and, and I just, but I can't speak. I start to pray for her, and I just begin weeping. And I, I said, I'm sorry, I know I'm supposed to be strong for you. 
And this is somebody I haven't known for a real long time, but I, I felt, I was thinking, I feel like this is somebody in my own family. And it's because that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. Our church is a family. We're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, the Scripture says. And so the Holy Spirit, our salvation, Christ in us, tends to tenderize our hearts, make us tender, make us pliable, removes the walls, make us, it makes us vulnerable, but in a great way. I can't say how important I think that is. I mean, we've got to be sensitive to the Lord and sensitive to what he wants to do and what he's doing in the lives of others. And I believe if we're going to reach other people, broken people, that we've got to be able to show authentic empathy and emotion when they're hurting. And you think about lost friends. You think about those who are broken and far from the Lord and, and think about if they don't repent that their destiny is an eternal hell where they're under for eternity the wrath of God and I just feel like that reality doesn't move us enough it doesn't move us to share the gospel it doesn't move us to love them in a way that that compels them to believe the gospel we just talk about eternity heaven and hell like it's just just a fact of life nonchalantly we ought to be tender people. Verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and they them by themselves. He's still concealing his identity here. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the, man, the men looked at one another in amazement. Just think of that. And portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. This is radical. Still blessing those who have cursed him beyond imagination. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. What would your family reunion look like after all this had transpired? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would not be eat, drink, and be merry, right? It would be a little bit of fist fighting probably. This is, this is just a great picture of what we are called to be. And again, it's a great picture. I'd be amiss if I didn't just drive this home and say, what a great picture of what Christ has done for us. I mean, this is so mind-blowing. Here we deserve the wrath of God and death. And Christ, by His own death, reconciles us to God and invites us to His own banquet table for all of eternity. Come to the table and dine with us, which in the first century was a great privilege. It's just absolutely incredible the picture of grace that we get here oh friends don't ever get tired of hearing the gospel don't ever stop preaching it to yourself every single day get up in the morning and remind yourself i'm saved by grace through faith in christ 
He died. He became my substitute to reconcile me to God, to take me out from under God's wrath. And then hopefully that will move you to radical commitment. It's not payback because day by day we're further indebted to God's grace. The only reason you can live for him today is by his grace. So every day your bank account gets larger and larger. Your debt gets larger and larger and larger, right? I mean, you're further in debt to grace every day. It's not payback. But Paul said it like this. I'll paraphrase in Galatians. He said, oh, he said, now I can't help but serve the one who gave it all for me. It just shapes who you are when you consider and walk in the implications of the gospel every single day. And you think about Joseph's brothers. I mean, what do they owe him? I mean, what, what, how do they treat him? I, especially next week, you'll see that they find out who he is. They realize the great blessing he bestows upon them. It's so amazing to think about. I mean, how do, you, how do you treat your brother now after all of this? I would just be forever indebted, right? Just, I would want to serve. Even if I couldn't pay you back, I'd want to serve my brother. I'd want to bless him. I'd want to help him. And oh, how much more should we feel that way towards Christ. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.